Welcome. Good morning. We try something different. Apparently, I'm not welcome up here. I apologize if you were hoping that it was Rob this morning. Um, we try to keep it a secret when he's not here because then a lot of you don't show up. So uh, that's that's my way of making sure I have people to listen to me. Um, this morning, I'm talking about kind of an interesting topic. I'm talking about um, brotherly love, sibling rivalry, rivalry, family conflict. And uh, speaking of, I'll say, not necessarily conflict, but maybe some kind of, you know, the beginning of conflict with families is miscommunication. Would you agree? That happens sometimes? And we had a little miscommunication within our church family about giving towers or boxes this morning. So if you have a tither offering, if that's part of your worship, we don't actually have the giving towers this morning, but we have the giving basket. Uh, Leslie Steiner in the back. Everybody turn and wave to Leslie. Hi, Leslie. And she has the wonderful giving uh, basket today. So if you have a tither offering to give, you can drop it there. And she's going to be there kind of in that area throughout this throughout after the service, um, not to check and see what you're giving or not giving and, you know, chastise you if you're not, but definitely to be back there and kind of just keep an eye on it. It's kind of an open basket. So we're trying to make do this morning. So anyways, it's right back there. Family rivalry, family conflict, sibling rivalry, sibling conflict. How many of you in here at some point in your life with a sibling or family member or maybe even a good friend who felt like a family member have had conflict? Exactly. Okay, put your hands down. Who has never had that? I just want to see if we have any liars in the house today. I just, you know, in the back, exactly, we've got one liar in the house. Yeah, you know, it really doesn't matter uh, what kind of a family you have. It doesn't matter what kind of conflict it is. And what I mean by that is some of you are um, very good at the kind of the passive-aggressive kind of conflict. Some of you are very good at the aggressive-aggressive kind of conflict. Some of you are a little bit quieter about it. You talk with, you know, lower tones when you get angry at people. And the the more that tensions rise, you start to kind of go down. And some of you, when tensions rise, you just keep going up and up and up. But regardless, we all have conflict. There is not a family member that I know of that has not had conflict of some times. And at times, the fact that maybe you don't have any family members, maybe that's Maybe it's because there was some conflict there. Maybe you kind of left the family a little bit in some way because of conflict. But we all have it. And today, we're going to be talking about conflict. And we're going to be talking about it, though, or the example that I'm going to give to begin with and kind of walk through is the story of Jacob and Esau. And these were brothers. Now, the reason why I'm going to talk about it from this perspective is because I have an older brother and I have a younger sister. And so I know a lot about conflict with siblings. I'm an expert. I have an older brother who's an athlete, a better athlete than I was, and you don't know how hard that is for me to say out loud, but he is indeed a better athlete than I am. He's strong. He's kind of a basketball, baseball, football. If he had decided to play hockey or wrestle, he would have been good. And I, you know, I'm good at my sports, but it kind of takes me a little bit. I have to work a little harder. And then we have my sister, my baby sister, who's really smart and I need to pause for a second to really get this out. She's a little smarter than I am. I don't like saying that out loud, but that's all right. She's not in the audience. Um, But she is very bright. Grades came easily to her. She would work, but not like I worked. When I was growing up, 
trying to get good grades. I would have to work like study and then try to figure out what I forgot and then study that part again just to get ready for a test that was only like 10% of the final grade. And I do really well on that, but I would like put only half effort into like a paper that was 70% of the final because you don't figure those things out sometimes until college <laughs> or after college. But my sister knew that it's like it was built into her. She just kind of knew how to get the grade. She kind of knew how to make sure that she got that A. Things came easily to her. So I had an older brother who was a much better athlete. I had a younger sister who was a much better student. And then it was me, and I had to rely on my manners and my ability to be really pleasant to people, to be able to be good in the family, right? Yeah, that didn't work either. So I had conflict. Certainly there was an internal conflict, trying to match up trying to you know, kind of be rivals with these people, trying to challenge and kind of have some competition. And I think we all have that, but it's not always with siblings. So today, I am going to be talking about siblings, specifically Jacob and Esau, and the examples that I, that I give from my family are certainly going to be with my brother and sister. But for you, there are some of you who are only children. And so you don't have that natural, or I'll say kind of that biological sibling rivalry, but I'm sure there was rivalry of some sort in some way. Maybe it was a good friend of yours at school. Maybe it was someone that, maybe it was a cousin. But whomever that was, there was probably going to be some conflict. And conflict within a family, especially, and it doesn't matter if it's a faith-filled family or not a faith-filled family, that conflict can kind of brew and it can kind of grow. And if you don't deal with it, and if you don't figure out how to reconcile at the end of the day, it's only going to lead to disaster and it's only going to lead to trouble. So today we're going to be talking about Jacob and Esau. And I know that there's, there's a lot on this family. Um, to give a little bit of background, their father is Isaac. And Isaac's father was Abraham, so you can kind of see the lineage there. And Isaac was married to Rebekah. And Isaac, well, Isaac obviously had some issues as well. If you remember the story, he was the one that Abraham almost had to sacrifice. And at the very end... You know, God provided a lamb, and he was able to escape that. So my guess is there was probably a little paternal conflict going on there with his father who almost had to kill him. But I'm sure he grew out of it, and he moved on. But he also had a brother named Ishmael. And Ishmael, was whose mother was Hagar, and Isaac's mother was, was Sarah. And it was known that it was going to be through Isaac that kind of the, the whole country of Israel was going to be born. That's where all the descendants were going to come through. And so you, then you had Ishmael, who was older than Isaac. And as we read in Genesis, we, it talks about that, how at one point when Isaac, after Isaac was born, Ishmael was almost kind of mocking Isaac. And Sarah, Isaac's mother, saw this and sent Ishmael and Hagar, Ishmael's mom, sent them away. So we already, early on in Isaac's life, already have a little bit of conflict in how that was dealt with. So we move on in our story, and we find Isaac marrying Rebecca. And as you know, married couples do from time to time, they have a couple of kids. And those kids, while they're in the womb, they have, who would eventually be Jacob and Esau, in the womb, Jacob and Esau were already kind of jostling around. They were already fighting before they were born. So the beginnings of their conflict started early on. As Esau was born, and Esau was born first, and that was a big deal. We'll come back to that in a second. And then Jacob was, was born literally on his heels, literally like holding on to his heel as he was born. Esau came out first, and then Jacob came second. 
So early on, there was probably a little bit of rivalry there. Now, Esau was the firstborn, and that was a big deal, especially back in ancient times like this. That meant a lot, and it meant a lot in a couple of different ways. One way that it meant a lot was in the birthright. The firstborn had a certain number of things that were given to him because he was the firstborn. And then also in the father's blessing. And those are the things that we're going to talk about this morning. And ladies, I'm sorry, this is ancient biblical time, so it kind of, a lot of these things go through the sons. You were basically sold to other families. It's kind of the way that it worked. So, uh, but if you were, you know, in a really nice family, you were sold for a lot of money, if that helps. I don't think it does, but if it does... But it was through the sons that a lot of the inheritance and the responsibility to take care of the family and the farm and whatever that father did, it was really through the sons that this happened. If you were born first, it was a big deal. You got the birthright, you got the blessing. If you were born second, and I was born second, so again, this is kind of hard for me to say, but you were, I mean, you were given a little bit, but you were kind of second choice, more or less. Except in this case with Jacob, as we'll find out in a second. So, We're going to start here in Genesis, and if you have your Bibles, we're going to start in Genesis 25, and we're going to read a couple verses to begin with, a little bit more background information. And this is uh, starting in verse 27 and 28. The boys grew up, and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was a quiet man staying among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, so dad, who had a taste for wild game, loved his son Esau, but Rebekah loved Esau. Jacob, we already have a problem, don't we? I mean, can you see it? It has nothing to do with Esau being a hunter and Jacob not being a hunter, apparently being one to stay home. And I don't know if that meant he liked to knit or clean or what that meant, but he liked to stay at home among the tents. But Esau was a skillful hunter, and Jacob was good at this. And certainly all of you that have more than one child totally understand your kids are not the same. They have different things that they like. That's not a big deal. But it's that last line there, that last verse. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Jacob. And we don't actually see the second part up there. But that part is, but Rebekah loved Jacob. There is a problem that we read there, and that is that one of the parents loved one of the children, and the other parent loved the other one. And one of the things that you'll come to figure out in the Bible is that everything that you read is there for a purpose. When we read things like this, it's not just in there for extra information. Oh, yeah, by the way, you know, Isaac kind of liked this one and, and uh, Rebecca loved the other one. No, there's a reason that we read this. And that reason we're going to find out shortly, but there is an issue if one of the parents loves one of the children, and then we read a but, the mother, Rebecca, loved Jacob. Isaac loved Esau, Rebecca loved Jacob. So there's already a split. There's already a little bit of family conflict. And we could absolutely start talking a lot about how this was, maybe it's a parental issue that Jacob and Esau had such problems, um, but we don't know that. We just know one loved one, one loved the other. Next week, actually, we're going to be speaking on kind of the parental-child relationship and how, that, how there's kind of conflict there. And today, we're just kind of talking about sibling rivalries. But certainly, the beginnings of it were early, about the boys having some problems together. Isaac loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. There's kind of a problem there, and that's where it starts. So moving on. We move on to verse 29. And this is the start of the very first issue. 
And the very first issue is about a birthright. Once, when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. Jacob replied, first, sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is the birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank and then got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. And again, I'm sorry, I actually put this together. So (laughs) I'm sorry the verses don't match up with what I'm saying, but trust me when I say it, I'm reading it right from here at the very end. So Esau despised his birthright. Now, we have to look at both characters in this. We have to look at what the big deal was, first of all, what the big deal was with the birthright. This is what a birthright meant back then. If you were the firstborn, you got the birthright. And that meant that you've got a couple of different things, and I'll put them in two areas. There were more, but in general, there were two things. Number one, it meant you got a double inheritance. So take all of the money that your, your, you know, your dad has, your dad and mom have, and that inheritance... You got a double portion, and your little brother or little brothers got individual portions. So you got double, so you got more money. The second piece of that is that you got more power and more authority. If you were the firstborn, you got the birthright, which meant you had some authority over all of your siblings. Now, in my family, my brother, if he would have had the birthright, you know, the money would have been you know, kind of a cool thing. I mean, you get a little bit more money and a little bit more of inheritance, but that power, that ability to have some authority over me, that would have been a big seller in my house. My brother being told, you get to tell Mike what to do, that would have been huge. So we're not talking about something small here. We're talking about something that really has serious ramifications. The consequences of being able to have that birthright were big. And kind of the idea behind this is that the firstborn would look after everyone else. It wasn't necessarily, I'm sure they weren't thinking about power, you get to tell your brothers and sisters what to do. It was more, you have to look over the entire family estate. You have to look over their farm. You have to look over their business. You get double the inheritance, but you also have responsibilities to the family. And that was a big deal. And Jacob and Esau both knew this. Now, to come back to the story, Esau comes running back in from the field after, you know, obviously hunting for long periods of time, and he's famished. He's hungry. He is hungry to the point he thinks he's going to die unless he gets some of that soup. And so to get that soup, and Jacob, and this is how I picture Jacob hearing this. So you want some soup, huh? Hmm. I tell you what. You want some soup, and I just want your birthright. And then I see Esau looking at him saying, I'm starving. Yes, go ahead, whatever you want. Give me that soup. Now, the one thing that this tells us about Esau is pretty simple. I'm guessing, it doesn't say this, I'm guessing Esau is not too bright. As with all big brothers, right? (laughs) Exactly. He may be a great at, I won't talk about my brother, he may be a great hunter, but I'm sure Esau is just not the brightest. He's selling the birthright. He's selling the thing that will make him, you know, not necessarily rich and powerful, but certainly he'll have a little bit of strength to him. He'll have the land and he'll have all that good stuff. But he sells it for a bowl of soup. Now, yeah, I, t- I got to tell you, I love soup. 
Maybe not that much, though. So Esau is willing to give this up for a cup of soup, and now we have Jacob kind of in the background, seeing him come in, seeing him hungry, and realizing he has an opportunity to kind of get ahead of the game. He has an opportunity to have kind of this rivalry, let's just say kind of reworked a little bit in his favor. No longer does his older brother have kind of the power. Now he's got the power. Now he will have the double inheritance. So this is kind of a big deal. And what does this tell us about conflict? Well, I think one of the things that this tells us about conflict is that sometimes it brews out of selfishness, selfish ambition, the need to have yourself put up on a pedestal, the need to have yourself and your game put ahead of a sibling's game. And as much as you love your siblings, and trust me, I love my brother. I've always loved him. I've never had, all right, maybe there was a few times I disliked him vehemently, but I've always loved him in the sense that I cared about him. But there were plenty of times I wanted to be better than him. I wanted to have a better jump shot, or I wanted to be a better football player. And a lot of those things weren't going to happen. So what do you do? You Maybe that little angst and that little not happiness kind of changes a little bit. Maybe there's a little bitterness. Maybe there's a little bit of anger that kind of is kind of on the side and it becomes conflict. And maybe when you're arguing because your brother thought it was funny while you were taking a shower to flush the toilet, which may have happened a time or two, maybe that little thing wasn't necessarily always a result of you just trying to play a little practical joke. Maybe it was a result of something bigger, wanting to be better. And certainly in some families, I'm sure some of that was wanting a little bit more attention from your parents. And maybe in some families there was, like we see in Jacob and Esau, one of the children that was the favorite and one that maybe was not as much the favorite, even though parents would tell you over and over again, we love you both evenly and individually. Maybe there was a little bit of an unbalance there. And so what does that other child do? They're trying to balance things out. And in this situation, obviously, Jacob's trying to balance things out and not just balance it out. He's, he wants to tip it completely in the other direction. He wants that birthright. And he sees an opportunity. He sees a moment when Esau, and this is important, is vulnerable. He sees an area where he's vulnerable and decides to take advantage. That kind of conflict, that kind of, those kind of issues can be deeply rooted it can be in something that happens when you're 8 or 9 or 10 years old. It can be something that happened when you were in high school. But those generally come out in some way. How you do conflict within the family, if you don't have an open household, and trust me when I say this, I had an open household. When we had arguments or issues, they all came out. We had dinner together every night. And one of the, kind of the, you know, one of the rules at our table was if you have an issue with someone, you speak it or you close your mouth. Meaning you either bring it to the table and we'll accept it and we'll talk about it. But if you're not willing to do that, if you're not willing to be open about it and talk about it, then you just need to sit and eat. And the funny thing is, is that there were many times where I just didn't want to talk about it. But my mom, man, she always had a way to know. It's like she'd see right into your heart and she'd say, all right, did you get enough to eat, Mike? And what's your problem today? I'm just sitting here eating my pizza. Yeah, but there's a problem. No, there isn't. Yes, there is. No, there isn't. Yes, there is. Okay, fine, there is. 
But being able to talk about that issue is key. And we're going to talk about reconciliation kind of at the end and how you work towards that. But certainly in these situations, the one piece that I want to take out of the birthright part of this is very simple, that trying to balance those scales can be dangerous. In this situation, he just took the birthright, but I know I've been teaching for a number of years now, and sometimes you see it, sometimes children, to balance that scale a little bit, instead of maybe trying to take a birthright, they end up just trying to look for attention, sometimes positively and sometimes negatively. Because a lot of times to a child, positive or negative attention, it's the same thing. It's still attention. And that's kind of their way of balancing those scales. So the birthright, it passes hands. What happens after that? I don't know because we don't read a lot about it. The only thing that we read is that so Esau despised his birthright. And the one, thing I, the one conclusion I can draw from that is obviously this had an impact on Esau. He was so hungry, he sold it for a cup of soup. Well, and some bread, in all fairness to Esau. So he obviously wasn't real bright to sell it like that, but then at the end, bright or not, it obviously hurt him. There was obviously some turmoil in there that probably wasn't easily settled. And again, things are in the Bible for a reason. Telling us that Esau despised his birthright is telling us something about Esau's maybe state of mind. But regardless, that unresolved conflict certainly is going to manifest itself somehow. And sometimes we know how it does, and sometimes we don't. So moving on. The next item that we're going to talk about, in addition to the birthright, the first child also had something called the blessing coming to him from the father. And this story, the birthright, is kind of well-known, I think. It's not necessarily something that you needed to go to church since you were maybe age five to know about. But the blessing is kind of a larger story that I think a lot of people know about. And it's an interesting story um, because, well, I think that Jacob, in this situation, we're going to read all of it in a second here, but what I want you to listen for is I want you to listen for Jacob's decision-making. I want you to pay attention to how he makes his decisions, and I want you to pay attention to when he does, how he acts on it, and kind of try to think in your mind of what his frame of mind is. So we're going to start in chapter 27. Verse 1, when Isaac was old and his eyes were so weak that he could no longer see, he called for Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son, here I am, he answered. Isaac said, I am now an old man and don't know the day of my death, which is ancient people speak, for he thinks he's going to die soon. Now then, get your weapons, your quiver and bow, and go out, to your, go out to the open country to hunt some wild game for me. Again, just a reminder, Isaac loved Esau because he was a hunter, so this is his way of kind of bonding with Esau. Go out and hunt some for me. Bring it back to me. Prepare me the kind of tasty food I like and bring it to me to eat so that I may give you my blessing before I die. Um, the blessing was not as materialistic as the birthright. The birthright was a thing that you got. You got double the inheritance and you got authority. The blessing was not as um, tangible but it was just as important to people back then. The blessing was literally spoken by your father, and it was seen as being the words of God. That it was not just your father that was laying this blessing upon you, but that it was actually God that was laying this blessing on you. And so it was a big deal. And the firstborn got the blessing. And I'll call it the blessing, because certainly the other children in the family were blessed in some way. But the blessing, that thing, you know, uh, proper noun blessing, was kind of a big deal. So now, Jacob 
It's not supposed to get the blessing. Esau is supposed to get the blessing. It's supposed to happen this way. So in your mind, Esau is out hunting for this wild game. And do you think he's kind of excited about this? Not only does he get to hunt, which he loves to do, but he gets to hunt, he gets to cook the food. Apparently he's a good cook too. Although Jacob was the tent guy, so I don't know how Jacob is not the better cook. But anyways, so Esau is out hunting. He gets to kill whatever animal he's going to kill. He's going to bring it back to his dad. This is an incredibly bonding experience for Esau and his father because that was why Esau loved, or excuse me, that's why Isaac loved Esau because Esau could hunt. Could Esau could do those kind of things and make the food exactly how he wants it. So he's going to hunt this food. He's going to get it. He's going to prepare it. He's going to have this incredible experience with his father who's then going to give him this blessing, which is a big deal. But that's not exactly how the story plays out because someone gets involved, and that would be Rebecca, Isaac's wife. Verse 5, now, now Rebecca was listening as Isaac spoke to his son Esau. When Esau left for the open country to hunt game and bring it back, Rebekah said to her son, said to her son Jacob, Look, I overheard your father say to your brother Esau, Bring me some game and prepare me some tasty food to eat, so that I may give you my blessing in the presence of the Lord before I die. Now, my son, listen carefully and do what I tell you. Go out to the flock and bring me two choice young goats, so I can prepare some tasty food for your father just the way he likes it. Then take it to your father to eat so that he may give you his blessing before he dies. Isaac loved Esau. Rebekah loved Jacob. Obviously, we know now maybe a little bit more about how that plays into our story. In the big picture, as we look from Abraham to Isaac, it wasn't Esau through, it wasn't through Esau where all the, all the descendants where Israel was born. It was through Jacob, and we know that now. In hindsight, we know that. We know it was supposed to go through Jacob, okay? We know that it was, it was God's will that Jacob would get the, the birthright and the blessing, and that through Jacob, you would get Joseph and his brothers who were all mean to him. We will get there, but at that moment, at that exact time, all we know is that Esau is supposed to get the blessing, and Rebekah says, you know what, Jacob? I just heard your dad say something to Esau, and I think we need to act, and I think we need to do something. Now, is Rebecca guilty of some stuff in here? Oh, yeah. And I'm not going to even go there at this point because we're not talking about parents necessarily today. She is definitely guilty of some things. However, this is the point where I want you to look at Jacob's actions because he is considered a man at this point. We don't know exactly what age he's at. My guess is he's somewhere in that 16 to 20-year-old range. But at this point, you can't look at it as like your high school juniors through college freshmen because some kids that age are really not old enough to be able to make their own decisions quite yet. I'm sure maybe some of you have kids that are at that age. No offense to you if you're at that age, but it's a different time and place. Right now, maybe you're not making such huge life decisions. Back then, you were. Back then, you were making huge decisions for your family, making huge decisions about your life. Jacob was old enough to say, no, that's wrong. I'm not going to do it. This is what he does. Verse 11. Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, But my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I'm a man with smooth skin. What if my father touches me? I would appear to be tricking him and would bring down a curse on myself rather than a blessing. His mother said to him, My son, let the curse fall on me. Just do what I say. Go and get them for me. Now, this tells me a couple things about Jacob. Number one, I don't think he wants to do this. Yes, he's being influenced by his mother, but he immediately comes up with issues. Two possibilities. Number one, he's thinking, this is a good idea, Mom. 
how, you got to help me make this work. Here are some issues we're going to have. Or on the other side, he's saying, hey, wait a minute. This isn't right. I'm just going to be cursed. Well, there are some issues too, but I don't want to do this. But Rebecca is persistent. Don't worry about it. Let the curse fall on me. But again, keep that in the back of your mind. This is still Jacob's decision. Verse 14, so he went and got them and brought them to his mother, and she prepared some tasty food just the way his father liked it. Then Rebekah took the best clothes of Esau, her older son, which she had in the house, and put them on her younger son, Jacob. She also covered his hands and the smooth part of his neck with the goat skins. By the way, as Isaac got older, he was essentially blind. Maybe we didn't read that part, but anyway, so he can't see very well. But he can certainly smell, he can certainly hear, and he can certainly touch. So he's got the other senses going on, so they're preparing for these things. She also covered his hands and smoothed part of his neck with the goatskins. Then she handed to her son Jacob the tasty food and the bread she had made. He went to his father and said, My father, yes, my son, he answered, who is it? Immediately, Isaac knows that it doesn't sound like Esau. But he also probably realizes that Esau just left to go hunt. Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. Isaac asked his son, How did you find it so quickly, my son? The Lord your God gave me success, he replied. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Come near me so I can touch you, my son, to know whether you really are my son Esau or not. So Isaac knows there's something different here. Jacob went close to his father Isaac, who touched him and said, The voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him, for his hands were hairy like those of his brother Esau, so he blessed him. Are you really my son Esau, he asked? I am, he replied. Then he said, My son, bring me some of your game to eat so that I may give you my blessing. Jacob brought it to him and ate. He brought some wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, Come here, my son, and kiss me. So he went to him and kissed him. When Isaac caught the smell in his clothes, he blessed him and said, Ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of heaven's dew and of earth's riches, an abundance of grain and new wine. Many may nations serve you and people bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers, and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed, and those who bless you be blessed. Those are some pretty strong words. There's a lot of meat on those bones, so to speak, of what's ahead in Jacob's life. That blessing was a big deal. He also has the birthright. Coming back to that story a little bit, Jacob is preparing for some conflict here because Esau is on his way home with game, ready to have a party with his father and be blessed. And Jacob kind of sneaks in there. And all along the way, Jacob has, has time. He has those moments where he could kind of remove himself from the situation, but he definitely chooses not to. He has opportunity, and he decides against it. Conflict within families can be a very frontal thing, or it can be kind of an insidious backdoor thing. And again, kind of coming back to the level, sometimes you're trying to level the playing field a little bit. You know, in my life, as I look back, there are many opportunities that I had to, for lack of a better phrase, stick it to my brother a little bit. And trust me, I look forward to many of those opportunities. And there were many times where I had that choice. And right at the end, one thing that always came back to me is, my brother's going to be angry. And he's, well, he's still bigger than me. And I don't want that. And, you know, the funny thing is, as we get older, those things still exist. 
It's not like those things go away just because you now are over the age of 20 or 30 or 40 or 50. Those things are still there. There's still that wanting to have the playing fields level a little bit. It's just the stakes maybe get a little bit higher. And honestly, as you get older, those feelings of anger and bitterness just get more embedded. That conflict as you get older, as you're a little bit more mature, sometimes can get even a little bit more insidious. And it's even more important at this time that we start to look at, in the middle of that conflict, how we are going to get to reconciliation, how we are going to get to resolution. Unless you're at that point where you don't want to have anything to do with your siblings anymore, and that's a hard place to be. And I am so fortunate and so blessed that I don't have any of that situation in my life. I love my brother and sister, and yeah, we've had lots of conflict in our lives, but there was never a point where I didn't want to be their brother anymore. And I am lucky, because I know for a fact that's not the case in everyone's family. And it's not always just necessarily your nuclear family or the biological family you were born with that that happens to. Sometimes it's the church family. Do you remember the tree that we created last week of all the people that meant so much to us in our lives? One of the things that we did in preparing for this sermon series is we left out a branch. You can kind of see in the lower, lower right-hand corner, it's kind of empty over there. And what this is kind of signifying is that branch that sometimes gets chopped off. Because, you know, sometimes it's a lot easier, rather than dealing with the conflict and dealing with the resolution, sometimes it's easier just to rip that branch off and pretend it wasn't there. We've all probably done that with friendships. Sometimes it's a lot easier just to stop answering phone calls or emails or text messages. It's a lot easier to do that than to face up to something maybe that you've done or to maybe reconcile with them by forgiving for whatever they've done. And that's not just necessarily biological siblings. Sometimes that's within the church. Sometimes that's within a dorm room. Sometimes that's within a work environment. But wherever that is, that's tough stuff to deal with. Because unfortunately, the hardest part of having siblings and having friends is that we're still human. We're still going to make mistakes. Think about Jacob and Esau for a second, and think what Jacob did to Esau. He stole his birthright. And steal is a hard word there because he didn't really steal it. He tricked him into giving it to him. Some would say that's stealing. Some would say that's just taking advantage of a vulnerable brother. And some would say giving the brother what the brother deserves because he's not very bright. However you want to say it and define it, it's stealing. And then his mother persisted and pushed for this to happen. But he still had to be the one, this being Jacob, that went to his father. He still had to be the one to put the goat skin on the smooth part of his skin, which, I'll be honest, just completely grosses me out. But he had to put the goat skin on his neck and on his arms. He had to be the one to wear his brother's clothing and pretend to be his brother and maybe change his voice a little bit to sound more like Esau. I don't know how he did it, but Isaac knew it, and he sensed it. And Jacob had several opportunities to back away. He tried with his mom, and his mom said, no, you're going to do this anyways. But Jacob still had that opportunity to stop doing it, but he didn't. He did this anyways. That conflict was either so strong within him or that need to have things balanced out was so strong, he went forward anyways. 
coming back to the story, we now have a little bit of the fallout. Verse 30, after Isaac finished blessing him and Jacob had scarcely left his father's presence, his brother Esau came in from hunting. He too prepared some tasty food and brought it to his father. Then he said to him, my father, sit up and eat some of, your, some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. Imagine the father at this point, Isaac, thinking about what had just happened. His, his father Isaac asked him, who are you? I'm your son, he answered, your firstborn Esau. Isaac trembled violently and said, who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? I ate it just before you came and I blessed him and indeed he will be blessed. He's obviously not very happy. I would suspect there were two unhappy men in that room. And Esau obviously not being very happy with it and we'll read a little bit more about how he reacted. But truth be told, think about Isaac in this situation too. Something he was supposed to be giving to Esau, now he doesn't have that ability to give to him anymore. And that last line, and I blessed him, and indeed he will be blessed. This is basically saying, Esau, I'm sorry, I can't take this back. These are literally like the words of God handed down to someone, and they were given to your brother. Verse 36, or excuse me, verse 34, when Esau heard his father's words, he burst out with a loud and bitter cry and said to his father, bless me, me too, my father. But he said, your blessing came deceitfully. Your brother came deceitfully and took your blessing. If there wasn't an issue in the family before now, there certainly was going to be lots more. He already got his birthright. Even though Esau probably felt as responsible for the giving away of his birthright for a cup of stew, certainly this time he probably felt like he had no part in this. It wasn't his fault that his birthright, or excuse, excuse me, the blessing was taken from him. It was all Jacob. There had to be some anger and some animosity. And it's going to, maybe it played out in the breaking off of that extra branch. And we'll get there in a second. Verse 41, skipping ahead a little bit. Esau held a grudge against Jacob. Yeah, go figure. Because of the blessing his father had given him, he said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are near. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. So obviously he's a little bit upset. Isaac's time is coming to an end. My guess is that the way that Esau was figuring it, when dad's gone, I'm taking care of business and things will happen. Now, in this situation, there are, again, two people in this situation that have a choice. Jacob had the choice not to do those things. He did them anyways. He was obviously wrong. He was deceitful. He shouldn't have done these things. But now Esau has an opportunity as well. He has a choice to be angry about this. Does that sound like a logical choice for Esau? Probably. In fact, it's a choice I'm sure many of us have made before, certainly a choice I've made before. You're not very happy with something that's been done to you. But it is still his choice to be angry. Now Jacob, again, coming back to him for just one more moment, was he kind of pursued by his mother to do this? Yes, but it was still his choice. Those were still his choices. Those were still things that fell onto his plate, and he still ate them, so to speak. So now Jacob has to leave, or else Esau would uh, probably have a little brotherly love for his his younger brother, and he has to leave, and he heads out to, and just kind of to give you the really quick story behind, or not story behind it, but the quick piece of the next few chapters, he heads to hang out with his uncle Laban, 
and he actually um, gets a couple of wives, Rachel and Leah, and the story goes on for many years, at least 14 years. If you know the story of Rachel and Leah, he was kind of tricked by Laban. Laban said, oh, yeah, I know you're in love with my daughter, Rachel, but work for seven years, and I'll give you her as your wife. And he works for seven years, and then she, he gets tricked by Laban, and Laban gives him Leah. So then he says, wait a minute, this is now Jacob, of course. Jacob was tricked by Laban, now he's married to, to Leah. And then he says to Laban, hey, wait a minute, you tricked me. I wanted to marry the other, you know, your other daughter. And so then Laban says, hmm, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll give you them both, but you've got to work another seven years. So we're at least 14 years, two wives, and a lot of land, and probably a bunch of kids into the future. But now there's a sense in Jacob that there needs to be some reconciliation. And I always hope and I pray that within every conflict that there is that hope. I hope that, you know, for you, I would pray that in every situation where you have an issue with a brother or sister, and this doesn't have to be biological, could be the church family, could be your work family, could be good friends. I would hope that when there's conflict, especially conflict that's this strong, that you have some hope and you have a need and you have a sense that you want to reconcile, that you want to restore that relationship. And as we move ahead in our story, it, it kind of comes. And now, it may have come very, and as we're going to read, Mary, it may have come very strongly to Jacob to reconcile with Esau, but it still came. And I hope that you have that sense as well. So we move ahead into chapter 32. In chapter 32, I'm going to start in verse 3. This is after, you know, 14 years, many years for Esau to calm down a little bit, but maybe he wasn't. Verse 3, Jacob sent messengers ahead of him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, to the country of Eden. He instructed them, this is what you are to say to my master Esau. Your servant Jacob says, I have been staying with Laban and I have remained there till now. I have cattle and donkeys, sheep and goats, men servants and maidservants. Now I am sending this message to my Lord. That's small L, Lord, by the way, not God, not the Lord, but Lord as in he's calling his brother Lord which is a sign of respect, that I may find favor in your eyes. He wants the reconciliation. He wants the restoration there. At this point, he just knows his brother is close. That's all he knows. Verse 6, When the messengers returned to Jacob, they said, We went to your brother Esau, and now he is coming to meet you, and 400 men are with him. Okay, so there's a little change in this reconciliation story. Uh, Esau has decided to bring some good friends to have a party with after the reconciliation, right? It's like we're going to shake hands, all right, high five, big hug, you know, kind of a bro hug, and then we're going to party with 400 of my good friends that are here. I'm sure none of them were warriors of any kind. Yeah, they want some reconciliation, but there are now 400 men coming with them. Verse 7, in great fear and distress, yeah, Jacob divided the people who were with him into two groups, and the flocks and herds and camels as well. He thought, if Esau comes and attacks one group, the group that is left may escape. Now he's thinking there's going to be some conflict, there's going to be an issue, I've got to prepare for it. And in all honesty, he's preparing for it well. Because what he is saying is, notice it doesn't say anything about bringing his, you know, the people that are in his service to the front to fight. He's saying, I've got to figure out who can escape, so I've got to make a plan. So in him, there is that sense, you know, if I can't have reconciliation, let's just try to make this the best we can. So we're going to skip ahead now. Jacob wrestles with God in the next chapter. 
he actually has an issue. He is obviously tormented by this reconciliation or possible death that's coming through his brother Esau. And so he has issues. He wrestles with God. And then we pick up the story again in chapter 33, verse 1. Jacob looked up, and there was Esau coming with his 400 men. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two maidservants. He put the maidservants and their children in front, Leah and her children next, and Rachel and Joseph in the rear. He himself, that's important, he himself went on ahead and bowed down to the ground seven times as he approached his brother. But Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him, and they wept. That is reconciliation. 400 men. I have no idea what those 400 men were there to do. I have no idea if Esau's intent moving up to this point was to destroy his brother and everything associated with his brother. We have no idea. We're not told. All we're told is that at the point of decision-making, when Jacob came and bowed down, and that number seven is a very biblically sacred number, so there was a reason that he bowed down seven times. It was definitely sharing and showing his brother some humility. It was definitely a humble attitude that he came with. He bowed down seven times. He had all of his people with him, essentially ready to give everything and say, I just want there to be peace. And then Esau has a moment here. Esau, the not-so-bright, gave up his birthright for a cup of soup. Esau, who was tricked by Jacob, for his blessing, the two big things that you get when you're firstborn, he gets none of them because of Jacob. And he has an opportunity here to make things right, to settle that score, to even things up again, but he chose not to. Instead, what does he do? He embraces him, and they wept. On Jacob's end, he came with a humble heart. He came with a humble attitude, and he said, I want to make things right. And to Esau's credit, Esau had every right in the world to be angry, but he chose not to. He chose the forgiving heart. He chose to put that branch back up on that tree and say, we can start with new leaves. We can start over again. Was he angry? I'm guessing he was still not happy. But he had to put that aside because there will be no reconciliation if you leave those issues in front. You've got to put those things behind you. You have to look ahead as a as opposed to looking behind. And this is not to say that in these situations, when you're reconciling with a sibling or a good friend, that you put everything they've done behind you. We're not asking you to be stupid and say, I know you messed with me before, but I'll go ahead and give you that opportunity again. Of course you remember what's happened before. You don't want it to happen again. But there won't be reconciliation unless you come with that heart that says, I forgive you, which is what he did. Our families are built on conflict at times. They're built around the notion that there's going to be stuff going on. You know the old line, familiarity breeds contempt? It's probably not a coincidence that familiarity and family both have the same root word. Families spend a lot of time together. Sometimes that just breeds contempt because there's a lot of stuff in our lives. If Jacob doesn't come with a humble attitude, there's no reconciliation. If Esau doesn't come with a forgiving heart, there's going to be no reconciliation. This is not easy stuff. For Jacob to come like that was probably not very easy for him. For Esau to come back the way he did was probably not very easy for him. But in the end, that's the only way reconciliation can happen. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, thank you for my brother and my sister Thank you for 
the part that they play in my life. Thank you for how much I love them and they love me. And Lord, I just ask that you give me the heart of Jacob to come humbly when I've messed up and give me the forgiveness that Esau showed. Sometimes things in our lives are not so simple, Lord. Sometimes we just want to cut off that branch and move forward. But you know that you want reconciliation between us. In fact, you tell us if you have an issue with your brother or sister before you lay that gift on the altar. Go take care of that first and then come back to me. You want us to love. You want us to treat our friends, our family in a way that that shows your love and shows your compassion. Please be with us today, Lord. Please help us to find those situations where there's conflict and help bring about reconciliation. We pray this in your name, Lord.